0: Man, I'm loving our comeback series and, uh, and interacting with people in our church. Uh, it's been very encouraging for us to hear about the stories of coming back from wherever it is that you're coming back from. But really, the God who brings and orchestrates these comebacks are what this message series is all about. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you would take them and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15 today, or rather, 1 Samuel chapter 25 today. Let's get the right one first. 1 Samuel chapter 25, if you would. And uh, in just a moment, we're going to stand and read 17 verses of one of the most amazing stories in the entire Bible. This chapter is a chapter that someone needs to make a movie about because it's so amazing. It's got so many things going on in it. But at the heart of what we're going to learn today is a game plan for a comeback. And I want you to think about this over these next few moments. What kind of a game plan do you need to have if you're coming back spiritually or coming back physically or coming back relationally to, from wherever you have been to the place where God wants you to be? What kind of a game plan are you going to have to have? Today, by the end of the day, you're going to know that. Let's stand together for the first 17 verses that we'll read out of 1 Samuel chapter 25 in the life of Abigail, one of my favorite uh, Old Testament characters. I think that I've probably preached this uh, character, this chapter, maybe three times or more before even, uh, over the course of 13 years. Now, I keep coming back to this because it's an amazing story. it's got some amazing lessons for us today. The first 17 verses present the background to what you're going to learn today about coming back in a strong way. It begins with this, then Samuel died and all of Israel gathered together and mourned for him and buried him at his house in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now, there was a man in Maon whose, name was, uh, whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And it came about while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And the woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. You see the, the transition of that sentence. She's beautiful, she's intelligent, but... Her husband, Nabal. You know, we hear that a lot. Next verse, verse four. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent in 10 young men. And David said to the young men, go up to Carmel, visit Nabal, greet him in my name. And thus you shall say, have a long life. Peace be to you. Peace be to your house. Peace be to all that you have. Now, if you're asking me, that's a great line. That's a great opening line to a great conversation. David, who has 400 warriors with him, or, or even more than that, comes up to Nabal and gives these kinds of words. Peace, peace, peace. Verse 7. Now, I have heard that you have shearers, and your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them, nor have they been missed anything in the, all the days they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we've come on a festive day. In other words, you have plenty to eat. Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son, David. When David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in David's name. Then they waited. But Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from their masters. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered from my shivers and give it to the men whose origins I do not know? So David's young men retraced their way and came back. And they came and told him all according to these words. And David said to his men, each of you gird up his sword. So each man girded up his sword. And David also girded on his sword, and about 400 men went up behind David, while 200 stayed with the baggage. Now, you can almost hear the roar of the warfare that's about to take place. You can almost smell the bloodshed that's about to unfold. Verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. Yet the men were very good to us. And they were, we were not insulted, nor did we miss anything as long as we were, went about with them while they were in the fields. They were a wall to us both by the night and by the day, all the time we were with them tending the sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what you should do, for evil is plotted against our master and against all his household. And he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Father, today I ask you to give us wisdom about this very chapter and how it applies to our lives. Father, thank you so much for stories that come alive with faith, and with the key factor of how you work in the midst of tough, difficult, almost impossible circumstances. Help us to see that today in Jesus' name. Oh all God's people said, amen. amen. Somebody ought to make a movie, that's what I say. On one side, you've got Nabal. You've got this guy who's wicked, he's selfish, He is uh, all about himself. He's not responding well to David and his men who come in and are hungry. He's already got food prepared for this festive occasion that Nabal is participating in, but he's not going to give anything to David and his servants. And so here's David on the other side. Here is a young king to be. He's been anointed by the Lord. At some point in the future, David is going to be the most famous king the nation of Israel has ever had. He's going to have incredible battles, incredible wars. Uh, He is a man after God's own heart. And in between these two guys, just when everything is escalating, is a young woman by the name of Abigail. David is angry because he's coming after Nabal. Nabal is angry because he thinks it's uh, arrogant for David to even ask. And in the middle of the two of them is Abigail. And her role in this is amazing. But over the big picture, who's watching this whole thing unfold? The God who orchestrates come back. The God who helps us out of impossible circumstances. The God who's able to do something with what nobody, humanly speaking, can do. That's what the story is about. It's about the God who's able to bring us back. So as we look at the story, there's some things that, that we want to bring out. Some things that the Scripture really makes clear. Let's look at them together, one by one. There are three key things that we'll look at. First of all, the circumstance God uses The circumstance that God uses is not what you always think it's going to be. As you open it up, you'll see in verse three, this man's name was Nabal and the wife's name was Abigail. And we have the characteristics and names, the details of this story unfold. So much detail, but details are really where we live. When you think about the details of this story, you think about the details of an everyday existence that some of us, many of us are into we're involved with, we have it around us. Think about this, there's an isolated existence. They're in the wilderness. That's what the scripture says. So they're kind of out by themselves. There's no one else to help, no one else to intervene, no one else really to fix the problems they're about to have. You've got what we call a mismatched marriage. If you go back and look at the descriptions in 1 Samuel 25, beautiful articulate woman, but her husband Nabal, a wicked, foolish man. So there's some mismatch here. We're wondering, how did a guy like Nabal get a woman like Abigail? Now, most likely, it's an arranged marriage. Most likely, that's how it unfolded. But nonetheless, there she is in that kind of marriage. It's distrustful times that they're in. Even Nabal says that. How can I trust these guys coming in asking for food? I mean, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're from, even though he obviously did but there are also imminent threats taking place. David, who has enough horsepower to carry it out, says, Nabal, by the end of the day, you're gonna be dead, wiped off the face of this earth. And that is the circumstance this woman, Abigail, is in the middle of. That's just the introduction. Now, we often pray when we have circumstances that are tough, undesirable, things that we don't like unfolding around us, we often pray this way, God, change my circumstances. We don't often say it like that, but we have ways that we say it. God, fix this problem. God, take this person out. God, silence so-and-so. Lord, bring something into my life that'll help me. We want God to change our circumstance. But the reality is God often uses us in the circumstance to bring about an incredible comeback victory that only brings Him honor and Him glory and for His greater good. As a matter of fact, God has a way of using the worst circumstances in the best possible way, from the worst to the best by the hand of God. From the worst to the best. Say that with me. From the worst to the best. One more time. From the worst to the best. And I want you to think about that for a few moments today because you may have some circumstances in your life and you say, it's the worst. And God's able to bring... The best out of the worst, from the worst to the best. And God often leaves us in some of those bad circumstances. Now, this is the third message of our, our comeback series. The first week was Moses. Moses tried to preserve his people his way. He killed an Egyptian. He fled from Pharaoh. He's on the backside of the desert. And God left him there for 40 years before he speaks to him and calls him out of there. He's in the worst possible scenario, and God brings the best out of it. Joseph, Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery, taken by the slave traders to Pharaoh. And now he's uh, in the house of Pharaoh, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He's in prison for two years, and he has to wonder, God, when are you going to set me free? God, when are you going to change my circumstances? I can't do anything good while I'm in this prison. Yet God leaves him in the worst of circumstances in order to bring out the best in his life. Now, I don't want you to go away from here today saying, well, I guess my circumstances won't change, but I do want you to go away today saying, well, I guess my circumstances, if they don't change, will at least begin to affect me in a different way. Maybe God wants to change you in your circumstances. Because the story at the end of both of these stories that we've already looked at are these lines. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, the end of Joseph's life, we see this amazing statement. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about the present result, to preserve many people alive. Remember the New Testament version of that, Romans 8:28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. God brings the best out of the worst. And you can go from the worst to the best in just a moment of time. That's the story of Abigail. That's the story of Joseph, the story of Moses. It can be your story. And it's an important one to keep in mind. That God is always the orchestrator of something good coming out of something bad. And not only that, he can bring incredible, incredible victory. You know, one uh, modern day story that, that I get uh, to look at uh, a lot, that we hear a lot about, the story of a young woman um, who now is a household name. But a few years ago, nobody knew her name. And now she's known as a famous young woman. You'll see her in just a moment. But few know the backside of her story. They know she's risen to incredible athletic fame, but they don't know the worst of circumstances that she came out of. This is the story of a young woman with extremely difficult home upbringing. She was brought up at first in Columbus, Ohio. Her birth mother actually could not take care of her because her birth mother was addicted to drugs and alcohol. So she was in and out of foster care. Her father was not a part of the picture. He abandoned his family, and he too was into addiction. But it just so happened that her grandfather, though, was able and willing So he began to temporarily care for her where he happened to live in Spring, Texas. So she moved from Columbus, Ohio to Spring, Texas in the Houston suburbs. With a growing interest in gymnastics, they began to look for coaches for her. And it just so happened that the greatest gymnastic coaches in the world were located in Spring, Texas. And they just so happened to be willing to coach her. And all that coincidental thing falling into place just so happened that she became an Olympian and you know her as the name of Simone Biles. Now Simone Biles will talk freely about the God factor in her life. It's not just a matter of athleticism. It's not just a matter of being positioned just the right way. But now looking back on her life, she probably doesn't see any of this at all as circumstantial or as coincidental. I do not believe in a God of coincidences. I believe in a God who has design and purpose and only when we look back can we really see how all of that is tied together. That's true of Simone Biles' life. That's also true of the life of Abigail. Looking back, you see how God has orchestrated everything in her life in an unusual, unusual way. But here's the story. You can't let your circumstances overwhelm you. Get this. Circumstances don't have to confine you. They don't have to hold you back. Circumstances don't have to define you. They don't have to put a label on you forever. But circumstances can refine you. They can build character in your life. They can change things on the inside of you that allow you to thrive like you would never otherwise thrive because of those circumstances. I've convinced in Abigail's life all that she was going through before David showed up helped build the character that she needed to have in order to demonstrate that character at a time when it really, really counted. So here's what I want you to do today. For the next few moments, I want you to ask a different question about your circumstance. Instead of asking God to change your circumstances, I'm gonna ask you to ask a different question. Here's the question you should ask God. Over the next few moments, ask God, how can I allow my circumstances to change the game? How can I allow you to use my circumstances in my life? Don't pull me out of them. Refine me in them. Change me because of them. How can I allow you to do that in my life? That's really the story of Abigail. She allowed God to use her in incredibly unusual ways. So we look, first of all, at our circumstances. Secondly, we're looking at the character that God honors. Because this is the story of a woman's character. Shining through. So we see how it's all folding there. How it's coming together. And in verse 14, David's coming after Nabal, and he tells the men, that's what's going to happen. The young men come to her and the Bible says one of the young men told Abigail what David had said. That's verse 14. Now when I'm reading this chapter, everything turns on this line right here. Everything turns on these young men sharing with Abigail. And the whole story turns on one woman's character in the worst of circumstances. If she were not there, it would be a massacre. It would be mass murder. David would have been somehow defamed and not able to lead the way God designed him to lead. But they came, told Abigail. And when Abigail heard, she stepped into the situation. And we see her character coming through clearly. What does she do? First of all, she takes responsibility. In verse 17 through verse 20, you see it unfold. The first part of that passage says that they say to her, know and consider what you should do. Now, that's a great line. That's a great request to be made of this woman, Abigail. Nabal's not about to do anything. David can't be stopped. So, Abigail, know and consider what you should do. We're putting you in the middle here. We're wanting an answer from you. And what does Abigail do? She steps up and takes responsibility. Now, what would you do? David's coming hard after Nabal. Nabal's stubborn, unwilling, foolish, You're right in the middle and you're Abigail and you know David's coming. And the the soldiers come up and say to you, where is Nabal? We're gonna wipe him out. That's a moment of decision. Some of us might say, oh, he's that guy standing over there by the tree, go after him. But instead, she steps up, takes responsibility that really belonged to Nabal, and she begins to mediate. She begins to calm David down she begins to cause the situation to be very, very different than it was without her presence. I love the story of Abigail because this young woman is courageous and bold and she acts fast. She brings food to David and his hungry warriors. That's really what he's asked for, just food. And so she makes food that makes sure that all that food that has already been prepared is mobilized. She begins to appeal to David. She stands in the gap when Nabal wouldn't stand in the gap. Now she speaks without asking Nabal's permission, but what she's doing is redemptive. She basically saves Nabal's life. She also saves the lives of all those who were in her household. I mean, here's a rescuer right here, taking responsibility instead of complaining or retaliating in some way or making an unwise decision. She steps up and takes responsibility. That's character. Now that's not an unusual thing uh, for us to read about a woman taking responsibility. As a matter of fact, all the great women in my life, and I know many of them, my mom was like that, my wife is like that. I've got daughters that take responsibility. I, I love that character in a person's life. And Abigail was one of those incredible women that knew what it meant to take responsibility. And God used that in a huge way. But she also shows respect. Part of the key to how she interacted with David was not because of her beauty or because of her intellect, but because of the respect she showed to him. As a matter of fact, in verse 23 through verse 25, the Bible says and starts that passage by saying, she fell on her face before David and bowed. 14 times she says, my Lord. She shows respect in every way. Now, I know you know this, but men love respect and they hate disrespect. Nabal has disrespected David. Now, David is gonna show Nabal the consequence of that. But here's Abigail stepping up. She's showing respect for David. And it begins to calm him down. It begins to connect with him in an unusual way. I always say this when I talk about uh, marriages and the power of marriages and the interaction between men and women, and that is that, that a man always connects well with someone that respects him well. Just like women respond well to love, men respond well to respect. In fact, in 1 Peter 3, there's a verse, that's kind of a tangent on this whole story, but it shows respect uh, in the story and it shows how it plays out in marriage and other relationships. It says, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husband, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, even if they're like Nabal, even if they're men that are not wise, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. So here's Abigail demonstrating respect in a powerful way, and it shows her character, and David calms down. Thirdly, she exercises restraint. Now, this is such a big key here because the word restraint is used multiple times in this text. You see it first in verse 27, or rather verse 26. Since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood. Now, technically, David has not been restrained yet. Technically, he's not stopped with his mission. And yet she steps up and says, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood. What she's doing is she's exercising restraint and wisdom. And she urges restraint from David at the same time. She models what she wants him to exercise. You know what leadership is? Leadership is always modeling what you want someone else to exercise. And here is arguably one of the greatest leaders in Israel history. He's young, but he's about to take the throne and exercise incredible leadership. And yet here's this woman stepping up and modeling for him what leadership is all about. And sometimes leadership is about restraining you from doing the things that you would do if you just left to your passion. Extremely significant. One of the reasons I know it's extremely significant is if you keep following Abigail's story beyond chapter 25 and one other reference in the Old Testament, she has a male child. She names him Cheliab in the Hebrew and it means restraint. Now, what does that word and what does the meaning of that really hold for her if that's why she names her next child? This is a big key here. She exercises restraint. She encourages David to exercise restraint and it changes the whole game. But here's the biggest thing right here. Are you ready? She remembers God. She remembers God. She remembers God when David is not. In verse 27, you see her start. As the Lord lives, the Lord has restrained you for the Lord will certainly make. You see, David's coming in passion. He's coming in anger. David has lost sight of God. And David's doing what everybody does when we lose sight of God. We uh, become radical. We become scary. We make all kinds of horrible decisions. We're impulsive. I love what J. Oswald Chambers said a number of years ago about this. He said, once we lose sight of God, we become reckless. Reckless. You think that's true of your life? It's true of my life. When I get further away from God, the decisions I make, the statements I make, the things I think about, are reckless. When I get closer to God, there's wisdom in them. That's why I urge you to stay close to God. Keep God in your conversation. Keep God in your thought processes because you'll never be reckless. You'll never be radically out of touch if you're close to God. But the further away from God you get, the more radical, the more reckless you become. And lives are scattered. The collateral damage is wild because you're far away from God. That's what's happened with David's life right there. And Abigail mentions the Lord's name, the phrase, the Lord, seven times in the next few verses. She remembers God and she reminds David to remember. You know what happens when we uh, talk about God in an otherwise godless conversation? The conversation changes. It changes. Whether it's a light conversation or an important one, it just changes. I was, a uh, Taking a Uber driver not long ago, and I'm sitting in the front seat so I can talk with the guy. And the guy's just spouting profanity. He's not mad at anything. He's just a real profane kind of talker. Until I started talking about God, then his whole conversation changed. All of a sudden, he was respectful and chaste and fresher and new falling snow. I mean, it was just amazing. God changes the game. When you're talking someone to someone about a bad marriage and you bring up the God factor, it changes the perspective. When you talk to someone that's got financial destitution, they're facing all kinds of shipwreck, and you bring up the God factor, it changes the game. When you're talking to somebody about an impossible circumstance that they tried everything they can do to to change, but they can't change it, and you start talking about God, it changes the game. It sets it up for a comeback when you begin to remember God. What in the world are we doing talking about things that we face every day without bringing God into the picture? You see, that's what's happening in this woman's life. She's remembering God when David, who should have remembered God, is not remembering God. It's always that way. We've been talking a little bit about kingdom conversations. If you haven't heard about them, you'll hear about them the days ahead. Kingdom conversations are conversations where we're talking to people in our everyday life and we bring up God. It may be that we bring up God in the sense of inviting someone to worship God with us, or it may be that we bring up God when we're talking to people about the good news of Jesus Christ. But do you have any idea how radically that changes the conversation? Do you realize how it brings hope where no hope was before? Do you realize how it actually gives an option to someone that have never maybe considered that option of what God can do for them before? And not only do you bring it up, you can also tell the story of how God has changed your life. In essence, in an Old Testament way, that's what Abigail has done. She's brought up a kingdom conversation about a king who is bigger than David, bigger than Nabal, and a king who has solutions. So what happens is all that she's talking about and how she's intervening between the two stands in stark contrast to Nabal's stubbornness and David's anger. She's like a rope in a tug of war that two men are fighting over. Let me just say this about her character and yours today, because this is about you as well as about anybody else. Now that is your character is what will get you through the storm when you're in in impossible circumstances, just like her character got her through that storm. And when you're facing all kinds of things, such as these things, You need to stick with your character, the character that God is forming in you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you'll see in every comeback story that it's smart, it's wise to stay true to who you are, whether you're in prison, whether you're in the wilderness, whether you're out in suffering places or whether you're in the palace. Stay true to who you are. Let your character come through. Rely on the God that forged that character in your life and remember that God's on the throne. Never forget that. So her circumstances were one thing. And then her character is what God honored. And finally, the comeback. The comeback portion of this chapter is a comeback that only God could have orchestrated. Man, I love to talk about God orchestrating comebacks. In verse 34, you'll find this response from uh, David. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been left to Nabal until the morning light as much as one male. If you hadn't have been sent by God to me, if you hadn't have come talk to me, I don't know what would have happened. And what that begins is an incredible story of comeback. You know, I always bring up this idea of a chess master overseeing a chess board with the different pieces in the different places. How many of you play chess or ever have played chess? Would you raise your hand if you have? Several of you in here. How about checkers? How many of you play checkers? How about go fish for everybody else? Go fish. <laughs> chess is a strategic game. It's a thinking game. Because you see all the different pieces on the chess board and you know that they can each have some limitations about where they move. But ultimately, it's up to the chess master to move all the pieces in the place for the ultimate victory. And I love to refer to the chess board because I see life like that. Read the Bible for a while and you'll see it that way too. That God is a master designer, and master chess master. And what He does is he, he puts us into position at different times and different places in order for the whole picture to work together, in order to cause everything to work together for good in order that even though someone else meant it for evil, he means it for good, but only God can put us into place at a time like that and only we can obey him in such a way we'll make that, which will make that work. That's a powerful thing to keep in mind. The comeback she has is not because she did it. The comeback she has is because God did it. He orchestrated it, but look at what she has. At the end of this story, there are several lessons for us. Number one. I love this lesson. It's never too late for peace. Somebody say amen. Never too late for peace. Wow. So what happens is David says to her in verse 35, go up to your house in peace. Remember, David first comes to Nabal and his men by saying, peace, peace, peace. And Nabal throws it out. There's not going to be peace. David said, all right, you want war? There'll be war. Abigail intervenes. And now David says, go up to your house in peace. I'm not going to run over your family. I'm not going to take away the life of your husband, Nabal. I'm going to back off. It's never too late for peace. Even if you feel it's too late. Even if you feel it's out of control and you're in the middle of this huge wave that's crashing on you, God can bring you peace in the worst possible times. But there's also another truth here, and that is it's never too late for love. Never too late for love. If you read the story, and it's the rest of the movie, Nabal, when he hears what she has done, his heart, the Bible says, turns to stone. 10 days later, God strikes him and he dies. He's dead. David hears about it, and David sends a proposal to Abigail. And the Bible says she accepted that. Never too late for love. I don't know what that environment was like. I don't know exactly what she experienced, but I know God did what God did so that she could also experience love down the road. And then finally, it's never too late to experience a new beginning. In verse 42, she becomes his wife. She moved from the wilderness and then later on to the palace. What an incredible change. Now, I'm not here today to tell you that if you're in the wilderness, God's gonna bring you into the palace right away. not saying that at all. But I am saying that what God can do is give you a brand new beginning. That might have been inconceivable before. He can bring incredible love that you may never have thought you could ever have. He may bring incredible clarity and hope in your life when it seemed like an absolutely hopeless situation. First Samuel 25, mark it, read it, pray it, begin to believe it can take place in your life. I love this story because it points ahead to an ultimate rescuer, Jesus I want you to think about that for just a minute. The ultimate rescuer, and really the purpose of the Old Testament is to demonstrate the power, the sovereignty of God so that we can know His sovereignty and power when He comes and reveals Himself in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, when I look at her life, never too late for peace, let me just tell you, when you meet Jesus Christ, it's never too late for peace in your life. In fact, when you meet Jesus, we have peace with God and peace that passes understanding only in Jesus Christ. It's not too late for love. Let me tell you, you may have felt like you're the most unloved person in the world, but the Bible tells us that Jesus gave his life as a demonstration of his love. You will never, ever have a day without being loved if you come to faith in Christ who loves us with an unconditional love. And it's never late for a new beginning, even though you may have years under your belt of going the wrong way. One moment, one decision of putting your faith in Christ, and you have a brand new beginning. If any person be in Christ, they are a new creation. All the old things pass away. All things become new, but only, only in God. Only in God. If you're right for a comeback, if you're ready for a comeback, if you believe God, you can orchestrate all the things he did in Abigail's life and do that in your life, that today you step towards him. Say, God, I don't understand how you're going to change this. I don't understand how you're going to change me. But I want to allow you to use my circumstances for your good, for your glory, and then trust Him to do that. I want you to bow your head for just a moment. I want you to close your eyes and I'm gonna pose that question to you one more time. Our counselors are coming to the front. They'll be available to pray with you. And I ask you a question at the beginning to ask yourself, how will you allow God to use these circumstances in your life? How will you allow Him to use them If He's not gonna remove you from them, if He's not gonna change them, will you allow Him to use them? Maybe today you need to come and agree with someone in prayer about that very question. These folks who are ready to pray for you have walked through all kinds of circumstances. They know the God who can transform things. But even more importantly than that, I would say to you today, that Jesus Christ I spoke of a moment ago is waiting, He's ready, He's willing to give you a brand new beginning, to love you unconditionally, to give you hope. But you must take a step towards Him. He's done everything by dying on the cross and paying for your sins, but you must put your faith and trust in Jesus alone. And there are thousands of people who worship here who say, that changed my life. I'll pray. We'll stand. We'll worship. But as we worship, please respond. Father, I thank you so much that you are a God who brings us back from all kinds of incredibly difficult circumstances. Father, thank you so much that you're the God who gave us your son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again the third day, the ultimate difficult circumstances, and now gives us life today. Help us to respond to you and believe and trust in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me?